Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. season. This is our last uh, time together concerning gratitude. Colossians, the second chapter, Paul is writing to the church. And uh, the Colossian church is a unique church. He deals with a lot of different uh, topics. One thing that, that Paul has to deal with a lot with the church, uh, this Colossian group of people, I, I don't know exactly what was happening maybe during the time. I don't know if it was sort of an epicenter of Uh, false doctrine or teachings that were opposed to uh, the message of Jesus, but he sort of deals with uh, the topic of doctrine a lot, and he deals with that in this particular passage we're going to look at, and warning against deception from false teachers. Colossians, the second chapter. If you have your Bibles, I'm reading out of the New King James Version, whatever that you have will be fine. For I want you to know, Colossians 2, What a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. So Paul is writing to this church and saying, conflict may not be the best word here. A better translation may be concern. I have concern for you. I'm concerned about you and this other church that is close to you. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. In other words, there's some people in your church never even met me. And here I am writing to you, correcting some things in your church. And there's some people that are, they've never heard me preach, never met me. And I want to encourage their hearts, that their hearts may be encouraged. Listen. Being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of the manifestation of His Son, Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That'd be nice to find. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you. There it is. That warning against deception with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, I'm not there. I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order. And the steadfastness of your faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus as Lord. Don't stop there. Walk in Him. And be rooted in Him. And be built up in Him. And be established in the faith that you've been taught. And then this is our key passage tonight. All of those things that Paul admonishes them to do so that they are protected against false doctrine. All of those things, Paul says, I want you to get rooted and grounded and keep walking in faith. I want you to get established in faith. And I want you to saturate that, abounding in, an abundance of, everybody say thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. I want you to saturate all of that with praise. And verse 8 says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Again, warning against false doctrine. I want to go back and very quickly, I want to talk to you about the guardian of gratitude. The guardian of gratitude. Put your Bibles on the 
few beside you, you can be seated. God bless you. I grew up in Arkansas. Someone just said, I'm sorry. Some of you grew up in Bastrop or West Texas. But I love big cities. I love big cities. And that's odd coming from the really small rural town I came from in Arkansas. Never lived in a very large city most of my life. My parents, even though jobs moved them to different cities larger than what we were from never really just a, a, a very large city of millions of people. But I, I love big cities. I love sort of the ambiguity you get inside of a big city. I love New York City. Brandon and I have had the opportunity over the last several years to travel to New York a lot. And, and I love disappearing in the crowds in New York. And Charlotte is a psychologist. She probably would tell me why I like doing that. I just like going there and thinking nobody knows me and And I can just stand in that crowd and be lost in that crowd. But I want you to think in your mind about the biggest city you've ever been to. I want you to imagine what that city looks like in your mind. And I want you to think about that city being fortified and protected. And around that city, there are enemies. People that are trying to attack that city. And those enemies are all around that city. If it's in the middle In your mind, I want you to go there in your mind. If it's in the middle of the room, there are enemies all around that city. Everywhere they look is an enemy. There's somebody up high who can see inside the walls of your city. There's somebody down low who can see inside the walls of your city. Not only is your city surrounded by enemies, but inside of the walls of your city, there are people who are sympathetic to the enemy. There are people who conspire with the enemy. There are things that are at work inside of your city to help bring down your city, conspiring with those that are on the outside. Are you there? You understand? Here's a truth for us. You and I have an enemy. We have a real, present, active, dangerous enemy. Satan and his demonic forces have only one plan. Take your city, your home, your soul, your faith, and kill it and steal it and destroy everything they can inside of it. They have no plans. The devil has no plans for you to succeed in following Jesus Christ. You are surrounded by an enemy who's waiting for there to be some breach inside of your city walls. You are surrounded by an enemy who's looking for a crack in the door so that he can get his way into your city and make his way into your heart. Not only... You have an enemy on the outside, but inside of your city, there are things working and conspiring with 
your outside enemy. You and I have an enemy who wants to destroy everything that God wants for us. Everything that God wants for us. And he only has two weapons. I hope you're taking notes. I have to talk quick. There are only two weapons that your enemy has to steal and kill and destroy everything that you hold dear. The first one is deceit, and the second one is delusion. The first one is deceit, and the second one is delusion. Everything that the devil will use to conspire against you, your faith, your family, your relationship, your joy, your peace, your happiness will either be a lie or a half-truth. It will either be deceit or delusion. It will either be he lies to you or he doesn't tell you all of the truth. Sometimes the devil doesn't just tell you a lie. Sometimes he just doesn't tell you all of the truth. Sometimes he just decides that deceit isn't really the avenue to go in your life. There's no way I would give up my relationship with God for that. There's no way I'd walk away from faith for that. There's no way I would give up my family for that. And so he can't use deceit, so he sends you delusion or a half-truth. I don't think it'll hurt if I just do this. Maybe it won't go too far if I just do that. Maybe one time just won't hurt. Say amen. Amen. You and I have an enemy who is trying his best this holiday season to bring you down, take you out. And inside of you, there are things that are conspiring with that enemy. 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, be vigilant and be sober because your adversary, the devil, walks around you like a roaring lion trying to find a way to devour you. And inside of the city of your own soul, there is an enemy sympathizer, that old you. You remember that old you. That old you who deceives you and who lies to you and who misleads you and who tries to convince you that what God said to you and what God did for you and how God saved you and everything he delivered you from aren't true and it didn't work and it won't last. And so not only do you and I have an enemy to contend with on the outside of our city, but inside of us there are things that are warring to conspire with our enemy to take us down. There are things that are working in my mind, in your mind, those enemy sympathizers inside of my soul that are conspiring with my enemy to destroy my faith in God, to destroy my peace in my home, to destroy the joy that I have in serving the Lord. Satan can accomplish everything on his own, so he has to use something you and I have. Satan can't read your mind. He can't hear your thoughts. And so he waits for you to vocalize something. 
He waits for you and I to open our mouth up and start saying, I don't know, and I don't know if he can, and I don't know if he will, and maybe he can't heal me, and maybe God doesn't listen, and maybe God's nowhere around, and your enemy hears the sympathizers inside of you, and they conspire together to destroy you. And I'm giving him that information freely. If you're a student of current events, you probably have heard the name Edward Snowden. He's a 30-year-old former CIA employee, an NSA contractor who leaked some 200,000 classified documents to the press. And many people believe not only the press, but to our enemies and countries whose plans may be nefarious. He's an insider who gave information to the outside. Sometimes the only way the devil knows what you're struggling with is because there's something on the inside of you leaking information through your mouth. Sometimes the only way the enemy attacks you is because you open your mouth and you leak information about what you're going through and what you're battling in your mind and what your heart thinks. That's why your Bible says life and death are in the power of your tongue. Not only can you create something, but you have the power to destroy your own life by what I say. And so we're surrounded on the outside and we're infiltrated on the inside. But the good news, if I can get right to the point, is there's a song that your enemy and your sympathizers cannot tolerate, cannot approach, and cannot defeat. And that simple song that Paul tells the church, that Colossian church struggling with doubt, struggling with what they really believe, struggling with who Jesus really was, he said, there's one thing that I want you to saturate your whole relationship with Jesus in, and it's simply thanksgiving. I want you to praise so you can protect your life. So in our remaining time together, I'm going to try to persuade you from your Bible that the only defense you and I have against doubt and against the enemy on the outside and the enemy on the inside is when we open our mouth and declare the goodness of the Lord. So I have to hurry. Let let me hurry. So uh, uh, we're going to step step by step through Colossians 2 very, very quickly. If you have your Bible, I want you to follow along. We're going to go through an exposition of this. And, and so I just kind of want you to give some reference to how Paul's dealing with this false doctrine. Paul begins chapter 2 by calling attention to how hard his struggle has been for the Colossians and the Laodiceans. He says, I want you to know how greatly I strive for you. I'm struggling. I'm concerned for you. We probably know that that struggle is because Paul is in prison. He's writing from prison. Maybe he's worried and striving sort of in his relationship with this church, trying to really 
decide where they are. He's worried about them. And and in verse 2, Paul tells us the reason why he's calling attention to his struggles. He says, so that your hearts may be encouraged. Now listen close. So that your hearts may be encouraged. Paul believes that if other believers know how he's suffering, that they will be encouraged and strengthened in their own faith. Paul says, if I can start by telling you that I'm struggling, then I think I can encourage you in your own faith. How? How does that happen? Paul answers. He says, because there's a knitting together in love so that your hearts may be encouraged and knitted together in love. In other words, he said, by telling you my suffering and my struggles, I want you to feel yourself drawn close to me. Paul is trying to create this beautiful quilt of threads of love, especially in light of his suffering. Listen, he said, I think that if I can get with other believers and I can express my suffering, that we can knit together a quilt that can protect me. He said, if I can tell you that I'm suffering, then we will knit together cords of love that will strengthen us both. That's why you cannot afford to miss church any day you can't be here. Because when I come to church, I get knitted together with people that encourage me and lift me and strengthen me. I'm knitted together in love. I'm knitted together with you. Listen, just let me get, uh, just for just a minute, and I'll get back to preaching. I'm just one little thing. That's why you cannot just be a church attender. You need to be a church member because in membership, there's some knitting that happens. There's some commitment that happens because we're in it together and we struggle together and we're knitted together with love. So when you come to church, everybody's standing. So when you come to church, hurry, hurry, hurry. And you're struggling with something. And you're facing something. And all hell's breaking loose. And you're in prison. And you don't know if you're ever going to get out. And you don't know if God's going to answer or not. And you don't know how he's going to make a way. You come to church. And you take the hand of the person on your left side. And you take the hand of the person on your right side. And you raise that hand high. And you say, in love, I can do this. We can do this. I strengthen you in love. Encouraging one another with knits of love. Put your hands together and give God praise for that. So, a church family helps me to love and strengthens me. Then then he says this. He says, not only that, Paul proceeds and he says, so that you can have all of the riches of the assured understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, specifically of Jesus Christ. Let me say it a better way. He said, when you grow together in love, you know God better. You can serve God better. You can understand God better. Let me say it to you this way if you're taking notes. The deepest and most certain insights into the character and wisdom of God 
come into heads that are attached to loving hearts. The deepest and most certain insights into who God is and what God's thinking comes into people's heads that are attached to loving hearts. He said, not only will you get strength through our suffering together, but you'll know God more clearly. You'll understand him better. You know his character better. And then verse 4, I'm trying to hurry, shows what's behind this special concern that Paul has to encourage other believers. He says, I say this in order that no one can delude you with beguiling speech. In other words, I'm trying to protect you from your enemy. I'm trying to guard you from your enemy. Somebody was trying to mislead the church. Somebody was trying to mislead the Colossians. Somebody was trying to steal from them. Somebody was trying to kill something in them. Somebody was trying to destroy something God had prepared for them. And the first thing that Paul said, I want you to do is get together and get your hands together and grasp a hold of one another. And when you do that together, you guard yourself against your enemy. You guard yourself against your enemy. And so very simply, he says this. He says, first, because of my struggles on your behalf. Secondly, in the hope that this will knit your hearts together and that out of this love would grow, thirdly, a deep understanding of God. And then fourthly, that would encourage your faith so that fifthly, that would give you the power that guards you from delusion. Let me say it easier than that. He said, sacrificial struggle leads to love. There's a pathway here. Sacrificial struggle leads to love. Sacrificial struggle in your life should not drive you to bitterness. It should drive you to love. It should drive you into the arms of brothers and sisters who say, I know what that's like. I've been where you are. And they take your hands together. And so sacrificial struggle leads you to love. And then love leads you to an assured knowledge of God. The more you get connected to church, the more you know about God. And then the more you know about God, understanding leads to strong encouragement. You get encouraged and your life starts lifting when you come to church and you get connected to the body. You get encouraged, Brother God, when my spirit picks up and then encouragement guards you from delusion. Now, we're almost there. And when I get there, I'm liable to pick something up and throw it. So, verse 5. Paul then expresses his motive for wanting them to stand firm and not be deluded. He said, Even though I'm not with you, I'm absent in body, I'm with you in spirit, and I rejoice to see your good order and the firmness of your faith. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm happy that you're still serving God in the midst of struggle. I'm happy that you're encouraged. I'm happy that you're still coming to church. But that's not enough. 
Paul says to the Colossians, I'm happy that you have a place to go to where you can be encouraged. I'm happy when you come to Christian Life Church that you can take the hands of a brother or a sister and they lift you up and you're knitted together in love. I'm happy that you're growing in your understanding of God and the great mysteries of God found only in Jesus Christ. I'm happy for all of that. But then verse 6, 7, and 8, he basically rehearses the exact same concern. He says, see to it that no one makes prey of you by philosophy or empty deceit. There it is again. According to human tradition or the elemental spirits of the universe not accepting Christ. It's the same exact argument. The same exact thing. I'm worried about you guarding your faith. I'm worried what happens even when you're in community, even when you're knitted together with brothers and sisters, even when you know more about God, even when you are encouraged. I'm worried that when you leave church, you're not changed. I'm worried that you still can fall prey to deception and delusion, to a lie and to a half-truth. So there are four things that happen, and Paul lays them out very succinctly. First, you are taught about Jesus Christ. Secondly, you receive Jesus Christ. Thirdly, you become rooted and built up and established in Jesus Christ. Fourthly, you change the way you live because of your relationship with Jesus. The only difference... In the final admonition of Paul, the only thing different from the way he closes verse 8 than how he closed verse 4, warning them against delusion and deception, telling them they have an enemy that's trying to attack their faith. The only difference is he added the phrase, the way you live has to be abounding in thanksgiving. The only way that you and I can stand against our enemy is to saturate everything in our lives with gratitude and praise and thanksgiving to our great God. So are you saying, Pastor, that that encouragement and, and gratitude are at odds in this passage. No, I would tell you this, that gratitude is the fulfillment of encouragement. Let me explain myself to you. Sometimes you can be encouraged but not thankful. All of us have had something happen where we're encouraged. It looks like I got another phone call. It looks like things are looking up. But you never stop to think, I wonder if this is the answer to the prayer that I've been praying for several months and years. And, and so you take a new job and you got a bigger house and you got more money and you, you're encouraged. You just forgot what it was like when you were living in that small house making minimum wage and you were barely getting by and you were begging God to get off the fry machine and get on the cashier. You were begging God to be the foreman and not just a laborer. You were begging God for a third bedroom because your family was growing. And when you get all that stuff, you get encouraged, but you forget to be thankful. And Paul said, 
that the only thing that will guard your soul, the only thing that will guard your mind, the only thing that will keep you from being lied to by the enemy of your soul is every morning when you get out of your bed and your feet hit the ground, you open up your mouth and you start singing praises to our great God. Abounding in thanksgiving. Saturated in praise. Opening my mouth and telling him, I don't deserve it, but I'm thankful for it. I don't deserve it, but I'm grateful for it. Thank you for bringing me here. The only defense I have is what I say with my mouth. How I thank God. You and I are fair, I tell y'all gonna get me wild. You and I are fair game for the devil when we don't praise God. The only crack in your city wall is when you start thinking you built it by yourself. I wish I could sing because I'd sing it with an organist. You know what I mean? I'm going to learn how to do that. The only, listen to me, the only way you're going to ever have longevity in your faith is when you learn how to open your mouth and begin to praise God for everything you see around you. you got to saturate your soul with praise. you got to be abounding in thanksgiving. Else the enemy on the outside gets information from the enemy on the inside and they conspire together and you start looking at your problem saying, I don't know if this is ever going to work out. I don't know if she's ever going to change. I don't know if we're ever going to get out of this house. I don't know if I'm ever going to get a better job. I don't know if God can heal. I don't know if God's really going to come through this time. Why isn't God listening? You're opening your mouth and those enemies inside of you are conspiring with the enemies on the outside of you. What would change in your life if tomorrow morning you woke up and the only thing that came out of your mouth was thank you Jesus for another day. Thank you, Jesus, that I made it to this. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm here and not there. Thank you that I got this house. Thank you that I got this job. Thank you that I got this car. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's not what I wish I had, but it's better than I used to have. So thank you. It's not everything, but it's something. So thank you for what I got. Come on. 
I'm trying to help you get through the holidays when your tree's not as big as their tree and your house ain't what their house is and your kids don't get what their kids get. You get around that Christmas tree and you raise your hands and you say, thank you, Jesus, for what we do have. Thank you that you made a way. Thank you that you made a way. Listen to me. Listen. You get in that car tonight that the battery barely turns over and the check engine light's been on and you don't have any money to go get it checked and you got bald tires and you don't know if it's going to get you home and you raise both of your hands and you say thank you that I got something. It's not what I want. But thank you. The only defense I have is what I say with my mouth. Sit down. Sit down. I got to keep preaching. That's why David, David, who looked around at the prosperity of everybody who was wicked, who wondered how in the world did they got a house that big? How in the world did they get that job? David, the one who messed up, the one who was an adulterer, the one who was a murderer, he said, oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in this dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you. When I came to church, I looked for you. And the only way I could find you, when I looked for your power and glory, because your loving kindness is better than my very life. So David said, here's what I decided to do. I decided to tell my mouth what my heart already knew. And my lips started praising your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Sit down. Sit down. We're not done. So then I'll bless you then I'll bless you. Then my soul is satisfied in you. Then my my mouth shall praise you with joyful lip. When I start laying down at night and I wish the day would have been better. When I lay down at night and I don't know why she left. When I lay down at night in a house that just got foreclosed on. When I lay down at night and the car got repossessed from my driveway. When I lay down at night and these clothes have been my clothes for 10 or 12 or 13 years. When I get on my bed and I lay down at night, I meditate on you. Because all of my life, you've been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. And my soul follows close behind you. And your right hand upholds me. Listen. Then and only then. 
will those who seek to destroy my life will fall by the sword. David said, the only way I know how to get through what I'm going through is to open my mouth and give you praise, to thank you in everything, not just in the best thing, but in everything. I opened my mouth. That's why. Paul writing to the Colossian church. I'm almost done. He says this. Sit down. I, I know that trick. I do it. You, you're trying to rush me. I Don't do it. Colossians 4. Paul says this. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Everybody shout prayer. And then, while you're praying, be watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now listen, this is where we're going to end. This is where we're going to land. He said, while you're praying, keep one eye open. He said, while you're praying, make sure you keep an eye open. Now, all of my life, I grew up in a, you're going to find this hard to believe, I grew up in a very Pentecostal church. It's hard for a lot of you to, to believe. But all my life, and I thought that I had to watch and pray, and I was told so that you can see your miracle coming. Here it comes, coming down that dusty road. Here it comes. Here's your miracle. Watch and pray. I don't know if that's what it means or not. Here's what I think it means. I think Paul said, when you pray, Keep one eye open. And while you're asking for a new house, let that eye look around at the house you got and make sure that you're watchful in thanksgiving. In other words, while I'm praying for my healing, make sure I tell him I'm thankful you're my healer. While I'm praying for my help, make sure I tell him I'm thankful you're my helper. While I'm praying for a new job, job while I'm praying I'm watching and I'm thanking God this year isn't what I thought it was going to be But if I cover one eye and look around while I'm praying for a better year, this year ain't too bad either. This house ain't what I want next year. But while I'm praying for a better house, I'm going to keep this eye open. And I'm going to look around. And I'm going to be watchful. And this Thanksgiving, I'm going to raise my voice. And I'm going to say I thank you for this house. And for this job. And for this year and for this spouse and for this family and for this thankful 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 stand to your feet all over the house the only the only defense we have against our enemy is thanksgiving to our God the only way you cannot be tricked fooled and lied to by your enemy on the outside and on the inside is if you open
you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Ephesians 5 and 4 says, Let there be no filthiness. I love this translation. Or silly talk. Or levity which is not fitting. But instead, when you open your mouth, let there be thanksgiving. When you sit down with your family next Thursday, open your mouth and in front of your kids and in front of your spouse and in front of your enemy, I want you to say out loud, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for what we got. It's not what I wanted, but I'm thankful for what I got. It's not everything that it could be, but I'm thankful for what we got. Open your mouth with thanksgiving. You want to change the, listen, if if you want to change the temperature in your home and in your marriage and in your kids, if you're tired of your kids ripping open presents on Christmas and looking like, where's the next one? 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 If you want to stop that, you know how to stop that? You stop what comes out of your mouth. Because if all your family and your spouse and your co-workers and your boss hears is complaining and bitterness and doubt, then the enemies on the inside start conspiring with the enemies on the outside and they come to destroy you. Instead, when you clock in tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, at 7 o'clock, at 6 o'clock in the morning, you punch that clock and you raise your hands and you say, thank you for this child. It's not exactly perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Gratitude is the guardian of my soul. The only defense I have, the only guardian I have, the only protection I've got is praise. You'll find yourself spiraling in doubt, in cynicism, in bitterness, in unbelief because of what you say. So I'm committed this Thanksgiving. And I'm inviting you to commit with me this Thanksgiving that whatever I've got, Whatever it takes, I will guard my house, my family, my soul, my peace, my comfort, my faith, my determination with praise and thanksgiving to our God. So, here's how we'll end. Just before we go to Thanksgiving, just before you sit down and eat too much, just before we get bigger than we are today, I want to ask you, how many of you have something that you need God to do in your life next year? How many of you are, hold on, before you raise your hand, how many of you are facing something that you wish you didn't have to go through this year? It's not the best situation. You wish things would turn out better. You've been praying and believing God for it. 
You, you don't just want a new job. You've got to have a new job. You can't make it on this job. You don't just want a new car. This one just might not start tonight. You don't just want a new house. This house is falling apart. You, don't pray for a new spouse. I'm not going to pray for that. You don't just, you don't just want better health. You got to have a healing. Okay? If you need something from God, I want you to raise your hand all over the building. Now listen. Keep your hand raised. The only way I know to guard against bitterness, to guard against doubt, to guard against unbelief, that your enemy on the outside and the enemy on the inside will tell you he can't do that. If he, would, if he was going to answer, he would have already answered you. He can't do that. It's too hard for God. He's left you alone. He's just not going to come through for you. It's just not going to happen for you. The only way I know, keep your hand raised, to guard against all of that stuff that can attack this hand is for you to slide into an aisle wherever you are and take your other hand and raise it high and say, And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.